Good morning, Grace Place family, both online and on campus. So glad you're here today. We're in our series, our continuing series on uh, the walk out of the, the book of Ephesians. A couple of passages of scripture I want to read today. Of course, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 7 will be our text. But uh, the uh, other passage I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. So find those two places, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we'll start at verse 12, and then Ephesians chapter 4, we'll go there in just a minute. Yesterday, uh, at no, uh, for no apparent reason than she loves me, my wife made no-bake cookies. And there are two things that I like about no-bake cookies, oatmeal and cookies. And uh, so they are very, very good. And I had way too many, she counted them. Like she puts them on this this uh, wax paper sheet, and they leave a little residue. And so she counted how many I had eaten when she came back. And so I'm a little bit in trouble on that end of things. <laughs> I hope that you had a, a fantastic week. We've been praying for you, uh, as we always do, and uh, asking God to lead and to guide and to, re- to direct, to heal. We have lots of members in our body who've gone through uh, sicknesses of various kinds, uh, the final, hopefully, of uh, some of the stuff that has been going through, not only the COVID, but also that RSV and just a number of things that have, have uh, attacked people. So we're praying for you to be victorious and, and to be healed. Uh, lots of issues arise in the body, so pray for one another. There are things that you are aware of and things that you may not be aware of. You're sitting on or near someone today who has an issue, a crisis, a situation, and they need your prayer. They need your encouragement. So um, be in prayer for them. We're praying for you who are online. Uh, God is going to touch you. Some of you notify us on a weekly basis things that are going on. And so we're asking uh, God to to minister to you as well. Let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, okay? Just a couple of verses there. uh, Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm sorry for not doing that with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, And all were made to drink of one spirit. Now let's open to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 for our text today. Paul begins by saying, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. These uh, epistles, Colossians, Philippians, uh, epistles, a word used meaning letter, uh, Philippians, Galatians, are uh, epistles or letters that were written by Paul while he was imprisoned. So that's why uh, often you'll see the reference of that in in the opening of this, you see, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Uh, That's why he's in prison, because he believes in Jesus Christ and preaches him. And uh, we may well see that happen on our shores. Other countries have been experiencing that uh, to this day. Just to believe in Jesus and to preach Jesus is a crime. Uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk 
in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We ask that you would help us better understand what you want to say to us through this passage, these passages of scripture that will enrich our lives and cause us to move forward in obedience with boldness and courage, that we also would unify as the body of Christ around the one hope, the one Lord, the one mission, the one King. God, we ask that you would, would give us uh, strategic instructions for the, the location where we are right now as a church and as a people, to obey you and to go out and to make a difference in the world around us. And we will follow you and be obedient to you. And we will rejoice as you do the work that only you can do in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you're seated. Just by way of reminder that we are Trinitarians in our belief of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, he is one and uh, represented to us in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I would just point out that that is uh, pointed out here in this passage that we just read for our text. Verse 4, one Spirit. Verse 5, one Lord. Uh, verse 6, one God and Father of all. And uh, the apostle frequently referred to the church as the body. And we're going to touch on that today, illustrating uh, that the whole is made up of many different parts functioning together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the church, and we are members of the body. Am I the little finger, or am I the little toe, or am I, you know, um, the chest, or the arm, or, or what am I? Uh, it really doesn't matter because every part of our body is so vitally important, right? And as I've gotten older and uh, I've experienced some things that I didn't experience when I was younger, and you wake up and you can't walk, you know, for some reason. <laughs> you, you sit down for a long time, you can't stretch out and, and stand up straight, and you start learning to appreciate little parts of your body that you never really thought about before. You took for granted that they were all going to just function greatly, you know, and uh, do what they're supposed to do, and you never took thought uh, about them at all. And now you think about them a lot because uh, one or more can shut you down, right? Uh, just, just a little, uh, you know, uh, how many of you have had plantar fasciitis before in the heel of your foot? And suddenly you can't walk and you know, it's like, that's such a, you're like, wow, this whole thing has shut me down. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, I, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, Samson, re uh, remember, you know, uh, after he had uh, revealed his secret and his hair is cut. And uh, so he's, you know, chained up. 
and he says, I will shake these bonds off as I have in times past. And all of a sudden, you can't shake those bonds off. And so we feel a little bit like Samson, you know, when we have uh, an injury like that that just shuts us down. You're like, I'm going to get up and just walk across the room as I have done many times in the past. And you're like, oops, I can't walk across the room as I have many times in the past. I am suddenly walking differently. Uh, our union with Christ is, is what makes us one body. And, and that has been clear uh, that we've seen as we've gone through Ephesians. The initiative was by God. The transformation that's been taking place in us uh, to help us to in this walk. And this, it, is, it is all initiated by Christ. And we are all one because of Christ. Not because we all made this reasoned decision um, that you know, we're just going to get together and do something great. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is God that is at work in us, right? So the foundation of, of unity uh, isn't membership in the organization, but it is the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer, right? The same Spirit in all of us that leads us and guides us and moves us uh, from, from obedience to obedience in, in Christ. Those who are, are in Christ are called to unity that defies cultural expectations and testifies to the power of the grace of God and makes us one in Christ. In other words, here's, here it is summed up. We have been called out of a culture that seeks its own best interest, and we've been called into a culture that is Christ-centered. And it is, it is a dramatic thing when the world looks at true Christianity and sees Christians walking this way. Counter-culture, moving in a different direction. Had a conversation, an opening service about you know, how uh, this, this current generation has been bombarded with uh, uh, fixing their minds upon being a victim and, and being, having been victimized, and that that should be the identity and the story of your life, is that, you know, at some point in life you have been victimized, and, and your life hasn't been fair in comparison with someone else as a result of, of the victimization that's taken place. And when the world sees us walking counterculture, we're not going to adopt that because uh, we have all uh, surrendered to sin at some point in our life. So uh, we have been uh, yes, certainly victimized in our life by someone else, but we have also been the ones that have victimized others because we have been sinners, right? And so we have lied to someone, we have stolen from someone, we have cheated someone, we have done something that has, has, has brought harm and damage to someone else. So there's no way that we can stand in the chair and say, you should honor me because I'm a victim, because we are standing in the chair saying, I have victimized others. It is in Christ that we take the stand that says, he has forgiven us of sin. He has pardoned us and he wants to pardon you. And I am a humble servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, the language that Paul opens with in our text um, is, is the title of this series, and I believe one of the central themes of the book of Ephesians. And we read it just a moment ago together. Walk in a manner worthy. We, call, we titled this The Walk, but here Paul says, Walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Illuminating to us that every other kind of walk is not honoring to us or to God. That God created us uh, and has a call in our lives. And he says, walk in a manner that's worthy of that. The walk of Christianity is, is really a striking contrast to the, uh, the world that's outside of Christ. Uh, in, in the world that you and I live in right now, it, it encourages and really in more recently demands uh, these three things. First of all, 
unity in philosophy, or we might say unity in worldview. That it's calling to us that you need to, I, we see the world this way, this is the way you need to see the world, you need to understand the world, you need to rationalize uh, the, the, all of the, the circumstances and situations that are taking place based upon this worldview that we have. It also demands conformity in behavior. There's no room for you to behave differently. You need to conform to what culture thinks and you need to move in that direction. It also demands submission to assigned caste. We've seen that more and more in, in the hour in which you and I live. In other words, you have been assigned uh, a, a status in, in, in the culture in which we live, and you need to live according to that, to that caste which you have been assigned. And, and you need to not deviate from that. And, and, and uh, this is more and more what the world is saying. But in Christ, you and I have found what, what uh, Paul refers to or talks about here he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to walk through these, these high points that are highlighted for you in this verse. Humility is uh, one of the endearing qualities of those who are in Christ. Uh, it is the humble uh, and th that are like, I mean, the truly humble, they're like a magnet in the world that you and I live in right now that is increasingly narcissistic. It is, it is an oasis to find someone who, who is operating or living in true humility. And, and it is endearing to our world to find someone to spend some time with and hang out with who genuinely is living a humbled life who doesn't think they have all the answers, who, who is willing to, to walk in, in humility and talk in humility and live it out in our daily life. And especially as we see the increase of, of narcissism and everybody's got an answer and everybody you know, has an opinion and everybody has a voice, our social media that uh, we are uh, surrounded by right now and that is so influential in our, in our culture is, is like a megaphone to every one of those who, uh, uh, you know, want to use it, and it seems like the people who are most eager to use it and find the most creative ways to use it are, are most in love with themselves and the, their own ideas and their own opinions. And, and so we are, we are surrounded by that. To see people walk in humility is, is a striking difference in our world, and it's very attractive in our world. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 38, for I have not come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now this is the reason that there's humility in the Christian community. Because we likewise have not been born again to do our own will, our own mindset, our own ideas. But we have been sent by the Father to do his work. And so we are doing our Father's work. We are doing our Heavenly Father's work. And so when a Christian is operating in true humility, we talk about in a minute how we, uh, you know, it's easy for us to get off track. But when we are operating that way, it is something that is noticed by the world around us. Gentleness. The word gentleness in this passage, actions that uh, are mature, gracious, and kind, done in a manner that preserves the dignity and the value of the object of God's love, which is mankind. Gentleness is an uh, interesting word. We, we refer to young men, uh, we hope that they will become gentlemen. Uh, and, and, uh, but that is the quality of gentleness. 
is, is something that, is, that comes as a fruit of the Spirit born in us and, and growing in us as a result of having invited Christ to be the Lord and the leader of our life. And gentleness is a very proactive kind of way of living. It is, it is us in action, in gracious manners, about preserving the dignity of those that we are around. It is about treating them with the kind of gentleness and kindness that we have been treated with, welcome into the kingdom, and loving them in such a way that lets them know that they are valued, treasured by God, and they have great promise ahead of them. Patience. Uh, this is a message in itself, so suffice to say, um, we can, we'll talk about that extensively maybe at another time, but let's, let's just leave this as a definition for patience, because uh, this is how we most misunderstand patience, I think. We think that patience is, is waiting in line, like we're standing in line at Disneyland, and the ride is up there, and it tells us it's an hour and 15 minute wait from the sign that we're standing at. To get, to get going. But in truth, patience is not that at all. That patience in Christ is, is more than, than just waiting. It is, it is serving while trusting God for the next steps. Serving while trusting God for the next steps. So patience in Christ is very much an action-oriented word. It is one in which we are engaged in mission, and we're, we're moving forward in obedience to the things that God has told us to do. Uh, but we are waiting expectantly and patiently for the next steps, the provision, the things that God has promised, the things that God wants for us ahead, right? Love. We, we also extensively talked about that uh, last Sunday, so I won't go into it again here, except to, to say that this, that uh, love is not found or understood outside of the cross. Love is not truly found or um, understood outside of the cross. Now the Greeks have a lot of different definitions for love, so those different kinds of things can be found, the phileo, uh, the brotherly love, um, but the agape love, the definition of, of the God kind of love, is never understood outside of the cross of Christ. Now, when I, I do premarital counseling and, and I talk to, to young couples getting ready to, they're engaged, they're getting ready to get married, um, you know, we, we often will, will say, you know, that you need that love, that agape love of God to make this marriage work. It's not going to work if you don't have that agape love involved in this marriage. There's a lot of people that stay together stay together for a lifetime, don't have the realized loving marriage relationship that God intends for them to have because he isn't central to their life. And so over time, they grow apart, uh, they drift, uh, different kinds of things start happening in that relationship. Um, there can even be wondering eyes and, and hearing other things that uh, egos are, are built up you know, in, in, in environments that lead us astray. And all those kind of things are, we're susceptible to when Christ is not centered in the relationship. We spend all day talking about why that is, but we won't. Moving on to unity of the Spirit. Uh, this passage out of 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may 
proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Our unity is spirit-led. We are moved from darkness to light, and this journey unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can talk a language in few words as brothers and sisters in Christ that the rest of the world has no idea. We understand that uh, the brokenness that we've come out of and how Christ put us back together, it unifies us. That's why, you know, I can go to church here, but I can also go to church in, in South Africa. I can go to church, we have before in Hawaii. Uh, we've gone to church in Mexico. Uh, we've gone to church in various places. And we can worship with that body. We have this unity and this kinship and this understanding that is, is all derived not from relationship. I don't know them. I don't know who they are. Uh, I don't know their stories and their backgrounds. But we all have the same story that we were blind, but now we see <laughs> And that unifies us in a way that is unbelievable. And then this, this last one, the bond of peace. And again, we spent a lot of time on that, talking uh, about peace. And so we won't, won't go through uh, that. Um, uh, but to, uh, I'll just add this uh, about peace. Peace is a Christian bond. It's why it's referred to as a bond between brothers and sisters. Uh, when the Prince of Peace rules in our lives, uh, we are bound together in, in healthy community and in peace. And wherever you see inside uh, a church community, uh, you know, peace, uh, uh, you know, people trying to break peace or, um, you know, uh, they are, they're trying to stir up difficulties or problems or issues, attacks against leaders or attacks against the church in general. That is an issue of that individual's heart. But as a community, we are still operating and moving in peace so long as Christ is, is ruling in our hearts and lives. That's why it's hard to understand sometimes when you're, you know, if there is, uh, issue. I'm grateful for our church. We haven't had a lot of, of problematic issues here. You, you are good people, both online and on campus, and committed to your relationship with the Lord. I have been places, there's other places, believe it or not, where there's trouble in churches. And people have problems with, with leaders and things like that. And that but, but understand that you know, when those arise, sometimes the greater part of the body is just confused. And they're confused because this isn't an issue going on with them. Their bond is peace. And they are uh, you know, in relationship with, with one another and loving one another. They're recognizing that it is an issue of, of individual hearts and that people are choosing to pursue an offense or to be offended. And often in those instances, they're trying to get other people to join with them. Just like the, you see it on social media, right? No, nobody wants to hate alone. <laughs> uh, you know, nobody wants to, to, to blast out by themselves. So they, uh, they're seeking the very of being there in social media and posting someone's opinion is to get other people to say, oh, I really understand, you know, how wounded you are and how hurt you are. And I don't want to make light of that in any way. I'm just saying that that's our nature. We want other people to join in, right? And so it is, too, in, when, when there is an attack against the bond of peace in church, that people will want to unify other people with that. But when you are... Uh, in that bond of peace with Christ, and he is the, the prince of peace in your heart and life, that, that peace can't be broken. 
it, it can't be broken. And people make mistakes, you know. Uh, pastors are imperfect. Leaders are imperfect. There's things that happen. But when, when we are operating the bond of peace, we forgive one another, we love one another, and we move forward, right? We advance forward in, into the kingdom. So I wanted to touch on all those, but the key center of, of this passage here, uh, Paul digs into beginning on verse 4. There is one body uh, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of, of Christ's gift. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's identical pictures of this. One body, one spirit, um, called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. This is not just a New Testament concept. This is, this is very much in the Old Testament. I'm only going to look at one Old uh, Testament uh, chapter, a couple of chapters out of one book in the Old Testament uh, to make that point. But it, trust me, it's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, this idea of us becoming one, there being one uh, body, there being one Lord. Uh, here in Ezekiel chapter 37, those of you who are familiar with that may remember the the dry bones story, you know, Ezekiel. And so what was all of that about? Why did God show him this, this, uh, these dry bones? It was a, a great army that had been slaughtered, and uh, their bones were... The, the language in uh, the Old Testament Hebrew there uses a word that just literally means those bones were bleached dry. Now, I've been out in the wilderness a little bit, uh, especially in, in the Arizona area when we lived there for hunting and things like that. And in the desert area... Uh, you know, if a cattle, cattle die or something like that, uh, I know exactly, I mean, immediately I think about some of these instances where I saw these bleached bones. No life, nothing, the, you know, in, after some uh, creature dies, the, there's still life in the marrow of the bone. That's why you'll see wild animals take those bones and go off and chew on them because they get to the marrow, there's still some substance there. There's still some life in it, right? But bleached bones... Bleached bones, those that have been sitting out in the, in the dry sun forever, there's no life in them. There's nothing left. It's all been taken away. And the great question that was asked uh, of Ezekiel uh, by God, can these bones live again? Ezekiel was smart enough to go, Lord, only you know. <laughs> because in his mind, he's like, uh-uh. <laughs> no way, there's no life. There's nothing to work with. And even the miracle worker needs something to work with, Right. So God only you know, and, and so God raises them up into a mighty army. But as, as we look at that, why was God doing all this? Why the theater, you know, that God would raise this mighty army up and, for Ezekiel? Because then he, he, he tells him why. He tells him what he wants to say. Oh, my people, he says, 30, uh, Ezekiel 37, beginning at verse 13. Oh, my people, and, and, and brought you uh, up out of, he said, I brought you up out of your graves, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. I will place you in your own land, and then you will know that I am the Lord, and have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 22 to say, and, and here's, here's what I'm doing. So one spirit, I'm going to take the one spirit, put it in you, you know, bring you to life. 
He says, and then I will make you one nation. One nation. In other words, same language here uh, for Israel as, as we see New Testament for the church. You know, I'm going to make you one body, one, one church. And, and, and here he's saying, I'm going to make you one nation. You're going to come together in this land on, on the mountains of Israel, and you're going to have one king. You're going to have a whole bunch of kings and, and a whole bunch of philosophies and ideals and worldviews. You're going to have one king who shall be king over them all and, and shall be no longer two nations, uh, nor will they be divided into two kingdoms. Now, then the question is, why does God want to do this? What about this oneness, this, this God bringing us in, into unity and bringing us together? What is the, the primary goal or objective? What is God trying to do here uh, by uniting us? And in particular, uniting us around mission, that we have you know, one mission together with Him uh, that we're serving together. And so uh, you take a look at the, the passage out of Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 7. He, he explains it. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel, and I will no longer let my holy name be profaned. And the nations, this, is, this goes back to even Genesis, the original covenant that God had uh, with mankind, that God said, here's why I'm doing what I'm going to do. Because all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. You're going to be a conduit. You're going to be my people. So this idea of having one people, you know, one nation, one body of Christ, as has always been throughout, and he says, um, the nations will know that I am the Lord, uh, am holy, the Holy One in Israel. So God's revealing himself to the world as a result of bringing us together as one people. We're, we're operating in humility, we're operating in love, we're operating you know, in, in uh, the, the gifts, all the gifts of the Spirit, the gentleness, uh, peace, long-suffering, you know, patience, all this kind of stuff is, is happening as a result of us coming together and unifying around Christ. And so the whole world, it's a testimony to the whole world. The whole world is seeing there's something different about people who love God. There's something radically different. What does it, this mean for you and I today then, as we talk about the whole idea of us being unified together and there being one spirit, one body, one Lord? And, and, it, and what, what we really discover is that in sin, we're, all of us were turned inward. And our sinful nature taught us that, uh, you know, to constantly make decisions in our lives based upon this question, is this in my best interest? <laughs> right? So we were constantly making decisions for our life with that as the central question, you know? And, and uh, it doesn't seem to be an evil question, does it? It's like, is this in my best interest, you know? Uh, should I get up and go to work here? Should I live here? Should I let my kids go to this school? Should I have kids? Should I, you know, it, and, and the question is just, you know, is this in my best interest. So in other words, sin taught us that life was about us. And we were the central figure of what life is. And listen, we, we deviate to that so naturally that even after we came to Christ, we can pivot that direction if we're not careful. Is why Paul later talks about dying daily and, and putting Christ back on the throne. Because I always seem to pivot uh, back to, is this in my best interest? It just seems to be the, the, the way in which I, I want to go. We see ourselves as the central character. Now, in, in early in the history of the world, when they were trying to figure out, 
you know, what was going on. It was the church that agreed, right, uh, that the sun, you know, was revolving around the earth. The sun was making, you know, a, a journey around the earth because the earth is the center of all things, right? And we are so important, you know. <laughs> and it was godly science that taught us, uh-uh, not happening, you know. Sun is, is in the center, and we're like just making this journey, hurling around the sun, you know. And um, so, you know, it is, it is the way we've always been. And even in, in, in church gatherings, we've been wrong at times. But we have talked about it as if we are the central character of what is going on here. And even after the redemptive work of Christ, it, it, it is uh, easy for us to fall back into that, uh, that path. But what Paul is saying is, is what, when you do that, you're walking like dead men. You're, you're engaged in dead men walk. It's, it's not what God wants for your life. So Paul said there's, uh, in order to, to walk differently from dead men, the rest of the world is walking like dead men. And they're asking that question. You know, is this in my best interest? And, you know, am, am I this, I'm the center of the universe. It's very important, you know. I don't have time for church because, you know, I have other things that I need to be doing, and they're very important, you know. And uh, so, you know, I am the center of the universe, and my children, you know, also the center of the universe. And so, you know, he said that's, that's the way dead men talk. And they, they are enjoying the walk that they're walking, and, and they're walking as dead men. But Paul says, you don't walk like that. You've been born again. You've been raised from the dead. And so in order to walk differently, Paul says you need a different, listen to this, you, you, you're going to walk different from dead men. You need a new decision maker, right? Because the decision maker that's walking you right now is walking you right off into hell, <laughs> You need a brand new decision maker in charge of your life. One who gives life and makes decisions that lead to life eternal. Now my personal reading, and this may be a practical example for us, of the wisdoms of God and how, how the wisdoms of, of God operate and how we can't understand them when we're dead and we do understand them when we're alive, all right? So my personal Bible reading is in Proverbs. And uh, right now, it's, I'm on the journey. And I invite you, it's, it's so much fun uh, reading Proverbs. Um, the, the wisdom of God uh, in these passages is, is clear for those who are uh, members of the body of Christ, and he's the head of their life, and he's the one that instills the kind of wisdom, and we can understand uh, these wisdoms that are printed for us here in Proverbs. Uh, but when we are not, when we are walking dead, uh, we don't understand them. So let me give you an example of one of them. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 10. Read this a few days ago. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. Now, we're sitting here scratching our heads going, you know, as dead men, that, what does that mean? You know, that has, and we've seen it on TV, haven't we? Like, it's, you know, not just in our own country, because this is a more recent phenomenon in our own country to tear everything down, you know. But uh, I, I remember the first time in recent history that I, I saw this and, and was really alarmed was, you know, in, in Afghanistan when the first time when the Taliban came in and the first thing they wanted to do was, was tear down all of these ancient, uh, ancient ruins and just bring them down to the ground and destroy them. And start brand new. 
They're, the Taliban was the original deconstructionist. <laughs> we think we have a new thing over here? Well, the Taliban have mastered that one. <laughs> and uh, the deconstructionists want to tear down the landmarks. So in Christ, this is really easy to understand. I mean, in, in our walk and our relationship with God. Uh, but verses like this make no sense. They're like foolishness to people who are walking dead. So to one in Christ, here's how we understand this clearly. Ancient landmarks teach us our history, both good and bad. And uh, we look to them uh, to live wiser in each generation, right? And so we, we happily welcome ancient landmarks, whether they were good or bad, because they teach us, you know, lessons that we need to remember. Don't do that. Do this. Also referring here to just the, the landmarks that marked off property boundaries. And uh, people are, are eager to tear those down. Get ready for a war. <laughs> if you start tearing down uh, somebody, you, know, you, want, you want a battle? Like, go take your fence down in your backyard and move it over five feet into your neighbor's yard. See what happens. See if that goes well, all right? Remove the ancient landmarks. Okay, then, then the passage goes on to say, uh, you know, that, uh, well, fools tear, tear these, these things down and, and they only repeat history. But it goes, the passage goes on to say, the fields of the fatherless. What does that mean, the fields of the fatherless? Don't go into the fields of the fatherless. And, and, and those of us, you know, who are walking in Christ can see this clearly too. Good fathers teach their sons how to succeed. Uh, the family trade was learned at the father's feet. And those who rejected their father's teachings were easy targets for con artists and thieves. They, they were just set up to repeat uh, the things of, of the past. They were, they were set up for destructive activity because they had rejected the wisdom that is passed down generationally from fathers and uh, to sons. And not only just fathers, but their parents in general, grandparents, and on and on down the line. But there are people who have thrown all that off, and they're going to go their own way. They think that their parents are foolish, and uh, you know the ideas of previous generations are foolish, and they have all the wisdom, and they have all the understanding. And so they're going to pursue and move after the things that they want to move after, and, and they're easy targets for con artists and for thieves. They're drawn into groups and activism and various kinds of things that they shouldn't even be doing or be a part of because they're walking like dead men. And he says, don't go into the fields uh, or hang out with those who are in rebellion or you're going to be caught in their traps. They're trapped, they're imprisoned, and it's the surest way to get into their trap is to jump in their field and start working with them. Start hanging out with them, make them their, the voices you listen to, the closest people in your life, and you are going to be in the same prison they're in. There's nothing to be gained by hanging out with the rebellious. So the practical side of this is the, as we're coming together in the oneness of the Lord and we're understanding the wisdom of God, we have that to share with each other. We're in different stages in our walk. You know, some are just beginning. Some, some have put your walk with the Lord a little bit on pause, and so you're in slow motion. My granddaughter likes to, to videotape. You know, we, we uh, do this, this battle with our lightsabers, and she likes it when we videotape it in slow motion. She can rewatch it, you know. So we're moving along really slowly and talking where you can't understand us and things. Um, but, you know, that's the way some people's Christian walk is. 
You know, and I'd rather have that than no walk at all, right? But you, you can accelerate that a little bit. When you get in community and iron sharpening iron and, and loving on each other, you know, there are people that are more mature and they are, they are at a, a, a better place in the Lord. They've, they've journeyed and they, they understand. And, and we don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? We can, we can move forward with that understanding. I have moved far from where I want to take us, but let's get to the close here. God wants you in his family. God wants you in his family. Paul says, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And when I was a, a teenager, my parents loved it. And, and it, it, it happened a few times where we were around as, as kids to hear it. But my parents loved it when other people would talk about my brother and I and, and what, what fine gentlemen we were. Maybe we had gone over to spend the night at a friend's house, you know, and, and the, the family would, would say that. Or maybe we had gone over to do, uh, mow their lawn or to, to do something along that line. And, and it was just, my, my parents would just beam, you know, just to, to hear. And you do too, right? You're, you know, you hear something good about your kids. And, and I thought about how we made every effort, uh, my brother and I and my, and my sister too, uh, to walk worthy of our family's calling. My dad and my mom were pastors. And... We never wanted to bring any shame to their lives. And so uh, there, th th that influenced a lot of decision-making in our lives about things because, you know, we wanted to walk worthy of the calling that was on, on my dad's life and really on our whole family. And, and we wanted to walk worthy of that. And so, uh, you know, we, there were things that we said uh, no to and, and uh, things that we would say yes to based on that. And that's what Paul's saying and, and here about our walk with the Lord. And as we matured and grew in the Lord, it, it became about not you know, about honoring God and the calling of God on our life. We, we were also making every effort to walk worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus on our life. I remember uh, Zach telling uh, the story one time when he came home from uh, Biola, and uh, he was at the school there. He was telling about a, a professor, and I've shared this story before, a university professor that uh, had invited all the guys from the class to come over, and he wanted to just talk to the guys and answer questions for them. And, and his wife had taken the young ladies and, and same, doing the same thing, different location, and uh, just wanted to really dig down and answer questions for them that they might have. And so one of the, one of the things that came up was, uh, you know, these guys, you know, obviously the future's ahead of them, and uh, they're thinking, you know, I have a calling on my life to ministry. I have a calling to do uh, something from God, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, how do I find the right partner? How do I find the woman that God has for my life that's going to carry us forward uh, and we're going to be a great team together? And I loved his answer because he told them, I was, he says, I'm going to use my example. He says, I was looking for a woman who would not stand by apathetically and allow the name and character of Jesus Christ to be demeaned. He said, I was looking for a woman who loved Jesus so much that it would ignite her when somebody would defame Jesus in some way or say, and she would immediately go to battle and, and apologetically begin to defend the, Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and talk about her faith with boldness and with confidence. And he said to those young men, I found her and I made her my wife. <laughs> and that is the way... Our walk is to be, Paul's admonishing us with God. 
That's what God is looking for in us. Someone who will not allow the name of Jesus Christ to be defamed. He's sitting on the throne of our life. So when you talk about Jesus, you're talking about me. And I am going to rise up and defend his name and proclaim that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. My question for us, and we're going to be receiving communion today. I want to invite our worship team to come back and prepare. My closing question for us is, how is your walk going? How is your walk going? Is Christ being honored in your obedience, in the things that God has called you to do? Is he being exalted? Is he being lifted up? Is he being defended by you as the world rises up and says there is no God, that we rise up and say there is a God. I talked to him today. He is the reason why I'm breathing and I'm alive and I'm functioning today. He is my Prince of Peace. He is my King of Kings. He is the one that, that, that is, has done everything in me that makes me worthy to stand here today and declare his name. He is my Lord and my Savior. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to receive communion together. We'll start by removing the top part of that where you have access to the wafer. If you don't have uh, this right near you, probably sitting on a chair nearby somewhere, uh, our elements, they were placed this morning for you. So this which represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was wounded for our transgressions, who was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of his sin was well, our sin was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The physical body of Jesus, beaten and wounded, he took what belonged to us, the hatred, the spitting on him, the crown of thorns, all of those things. His body eventually pierced with a sword. And Jesus did this so that he could become the perfect sacrifice, the lamb, the one who has every right to sit on the throne of our lives. And we, understanding this, have invited him to be the Lord and the leader of our life. But if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, I want to pray with you before we receive these elements. And I'd like you to, to repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me and I believe you rose again. I invite you to be the Lord and the leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive that which represents the body of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for that which represents the blood of the Lord Jesus that was spilled for us. And the Bible tells us that just one drop, Lord, the, has blotted out every transgression of sin that was against us. Early picture in the Old Testament of the blood of the Lamb being over the doorpost as the death angel passed through. Lord, we are born again and brought to life 
no longer dead men walking because of you. And as we receive this today, we, we receive it remembering what you accomplished for us on Calvary, and we are so grateful and so thankful. And we ask your blessing over it to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen.